You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. everyone, this is Kristen Powers with Pets Rock at Pet Life Radio. Today we have an amazing guest who is doing a world of good for dogs and animals of all shapes and sizes. You may know her best from her role as the Vampire Victoria in the Twilight movie, but today you will learn about all her amazing work with the organization Best Friends Animal Society and the campaign Puppies Aren't Products. Please give a warm, wet nose welcome to Rochelle Lefebvre. Hey Rochelle, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, Kristen. How are you? Good. So... I basically want to get right into this and ask you how you got involved with Best Friends and this Puppies Aren't Products campaign. I actually got involved with Best Friends um, a few years ago. My manager is uh, a woman named Pearl Hannon, who is a complete animal lover extraordinaire, dogs especially. And as part of her Christmas gift every year, I believe it's Christmas or whatever holiday comes up in the year, um, she gives as part of her gift a donation to Best Friends on her client's behalf, and everybody gets a subscription to the magazine. And so that's how I first started reading about the organization and becoming familiar with them. And then they uh, approached me a little while ago to uh, to come on board and be the spokesperson for the Puppies Aren't Products campaign. Very cool. So yeah. the Puppies Aren't Products campaign, as I recall, is addressing that adopt instead of shop, right, and the whole puppy mill problem in the U.S. Can you tell yeah, us a little exactly. bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. The idea is that what we're really trying to do is raise awareness. I think that, you know, I was definitely one of these people that when I wanted to get a dog, you know, when I had been thinking about it, I definitely knew that rescuing or adopting, depending on, you know, what you want to call it or what the situation is, I I always knew that that was definitely an option and that, that sounded like a great thing that people did. I guess I just never really had thought for a minute about why it was so important. Like, what is the alternative? What does it mean when I go into a pet store instead and I buy a dog from the pet store? And I guess I didn't know why that was not a suitable alternative. And the thing that I learned through uh, my subscription to Best Friends and through getting on board and, and working with them directly is, of course, learning about the existence of puppy mills, which I did not know about before. And puppy mills are places where they breed the dogs that end up getting sold to pet stores all across the country. And they're places where they overbreed the dogs, and they basically, the dogs are their products. That's what they are. They breed them. They have puppies. They put them in cages where legally they only have to have about six inches of room on either side of the dog. So they pile in these dogs into room where they, into cages where they basically have just enough room to turn around and that's it. They don't really get walked or get exercised. They're separated from their mothers too early. They don't always, because they're not outside being walked and roaming free, a lot of the time they go to the bathroom in their cages and have to be in that area with with the filth for a long time. And it's really just a horrible life for a puppy. And that's from the time that they're born until, you know, whatever time there's a puppy pet store calls up and goes, hey, you know, we sold six chihuahuas today, so can you send us six chihuahuas? And the puppy mills go into their, you know, their cages, and they haul out six chihuahuas, and they throw them in a truck, and they send them to the pet store, and it's really a, a horrible, a horrible system. Yeah, that sounds really bad, but I understand that you're helping to solve this problem. You've made a PSA, a 30-second and 60-second one, is that correct? 
Yeah, we did uh, We did 30 seconds and 60 seconds, and we did a radio and a TV version. We did a shorter and a long version just for the discretion of the people who air them because I don't know if people know this, but, you know, PSAs are the time that they give on the airwaves of uh, radio and television generally is donated. You can, of course, for your cause, buy advertising space, but for something like Best Friends, they're relying on the directors of the radio stations and the television stations to donate the commercial time to air the PSAs. So there's a 30-second and a 60-second so that they can choose, and the goal of it is to do exactly what you and I are kind of doing today, which is just raising awareness, and it shows in the TV spots, it gives visual images of the puppy mills so you can see firsthand just how upsetting it is and just how hard their lives are there. And it introduces you to Johnny, who is one of the rescue dogs that we actually selected to be in the PSA, who is an amazing, adorable, healthy dog who was adopted two days after we shot the PSA to show that rescuing an animal doesn't mean that you're going to get a sick or unhealthy or behaviorally challenged, aggressive animal, you know, it means that you just get a lovely dog that, you know, couldn't find a home somewhere else or was neglected or abandoned and and you don't have to adopt a, a sick puppy or a puppy that needs rehabilitating if you don't want to. You can get a puppy that someone else literally just decided to stop caring for and just needs a home. Right, yeah. I definitely want to bring up the fact, like, I always am upset when people say that shelter dogs are like behaviorally challenged or difficult because both of my parents worked in the animal shelter like sector all of my childhood and we had this amazing dog that had been abused as a puppy and yet Mm -hmm. she was so loving and forgiven because we rescued her and I remember she passed away when I was in fourth grade but I remember when I was little I used to refer to her as my second mother because (laughs) she was just the sweetest dog ever so I really like want to reiterate to people that shelter dogs are life-changing and they can just be the most amazing event that has ever happened in your life. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. And most of the organizations, you know, if you go to uh, to an adoption center, a lot of times, you know, there are places where there's not just shelters. Obviously, you can go right into your local shelter and, and get the dogs, but also most cities have their pet stores where your local pet store not the ones that sell puppies, but ones that sell pet supplies. Sometimes, you know, you'll see signs in PetSmart and things like that or Petco where they run adoptions um, right. on the weekends or sometimes the smaller boutiques. And they actually get dogs from the shelters and they have people bring them in or animals that they found or that people who frequent the store bring in that they found in their neighborhoods and they run adoption sort of events. And one of the things that's great about that is that you can ask questions to the person. You can ask about as much of the history of the dog as possible. You can, a lot of the times, shelters, you know, they'll have veterinarians and who look at the dogs and you can ask, is this dog sick and what's their, you know, what do they need right now if I take them home? Or does has the dog had any behavioral problems while you've had it here? And you can get lots of information. It's not like they don't tell you anything you know right um you can be you're a totally informed consumer in every aspect and getting a dog is no different you just ask questions and they will answer them for you and you can decide for yourself how much you're willing to take on like i also like the problem that i see a lot with with pet stores is people say it's easier to go and get one there but and it's like it's just more convenient but with like all the technology out there like petfinder.com which i know works 
or has like some kiosks in Petco, you can type mm-hmm. in what animal you're looking for and find the nearest shelter. And often most of those shelters, the adoption fee is like versus the pedigree, it's like four times less than what you would pay to buy like a pedigree pet shop. Oh, completely. But, I got my dog for 10 times less. My, um, yeah. my little honey is a terrier multi-poo. And she weighs about eight pounds. And she's just a small, adorable little white dog. And she, I guess, is what, if you're after a small dog, she's like, you know, the multi-poo is very trendy. It's like a covetable dog, you know. And they sell them in stores. I saw multi-poos or multi-poo mixes in stores, not even purebred, that were like $3,000, $3,500. And my adoption fee for her was $300. Right, yeah, I know. And in some places, it's low as, like, $100, and that exactly. includes vaccinations and vet care. Yeah, and most of the time, the amazing thing is that people go, oh, well, adoption fee, I don't want to pay in a, you know, I'm doing a good thing, I'm rescuing a dog, why would I pay for the dog? Shouldn't the dog be free? Um, right. But the thing to know that I think a lot of people don't realize is that normally when you pay an adoption fee, what you're paying for is any care that the dog has received before you got the dog. So... Somebody has to run the organization that rescues the dog. Somebody has to feed the dog, look after the dog, make sure the dog had vaccines. When I actually got my dog, they had just had her spayed. And, you know, they did that out of their own pocket. So the $300 that I paid was actually money I would have had to spend anyway if they hadn't taken care of all this stuff for me. Right. Yeah, that's really important, the stress. So I know you've kind of mentioned your dog, but would you like to tell us more about your dog, Honey, and her story and, like, how you obtained your dog? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my boyfriend Jamie and I, um, and I have to mention him because as much as I'm her mother, he's her father, um, <laughs> and we adopted her together. And when we got her, we actually, we had been looking for a dog for about a year, I guess. And I wouldn't say actively looking, but we had been talking about it, and we had been cooing over dogs and things like that. And we just hadn't made the leap yet. And we actually went into a, uh, a pet supply store down the street from us that runs adoptions, and they do rescues from all different shelters. And she was actually from uh, an East Los Angeles shelter. She was brought in as a stray. And she ended up at this adoption fair at this pet store. And we just saw her and something clicked. There was no more thinking. <laughs> there was no more evaluating. There was no more contemplating. We just knew that we had to take her home. And that's what we did. We just uh, we signed the, the papers and... And took her home. And um, the thing I want to say also is that we were talking a little bit before about, you know, being able to choose what kind of a dog you get. If you want a dog who has a clean bill of health and is just sweet and someone couldn't look after it and take it home, then that's amazing and, and more power to you. Some people are great with dogs. They have a lot of experience and they're very good at rehabilitating and training dogs who've had difficult paths. And those people do an incredible thing when they rescue animals that need rehabilitation. And another thing that you can do is if you have the means, if you have the financial means and you're willing, is you can adopt a dog that has some health problems who is an amazing, loving dog but might need, you know, more frequent vet visits and medication and things like that, that otherwise she would be put down in a shelter. And that was the situation with my dog, Honey. She's the most loving, amazing, sweet, incredible dog, and she's so much fun, and she had tons of energy when we brought her home, but she is, in fact, sick. She has an autoimmune disease, and um, and we just felt like we had the means to be able to look after her, and we didn't want her to end up being euthanized because she was sick, and so we said that we would take her on and, and look after her for as long as she was 
going to be with us and that we would look after her needs no matter how bad or how complicated it got, that we were on board. So, And I mention that only because I've been Twittering lately about the fact that Honey's sick and she's in hospital. And and, um, it's extremely hard and extremely devastating, but it's the most worthwhile thing I think that we've ever done. I know Jamie would agree that we decided to help her in the world and she's given us more than we've given her. Um, so it's really, it's really the best relationship. I think it's the best relationship and most healthy relationship I think I've ever had. (laughs) Oh, well, we all send get well soon to your dog, honey. Thank you very much. You mentioned Pet Finder, by the way, and I just wanted to say that I do love Pet Finder and Jamie and I have actually been on the site recently looking because we're thinking about rescuing a second dog. And the best thing about that is that I love it how you can, like, customize your dog. (laughs) You can put in what breed you want. You can put in what size, how old. And literally, it will, like, it's like a search engine. It will filter through and find you a dog that fits your needs. And I think it's unique and and it's a great thing. So people who are looking to rescue, if they don't feel like, well, I don't want to go from shelter to shelter. It's too hard. It's too depressing or whatever their negative thoughts might be, you can just go to Pet Finder and there's pictures and everything. And I think it's a great website. Right, yeah. It's really cool because I've even heard stories of where there was like a potential pet owner who went on a pet finder and she found the perfect dog, but it was like 400 miles away. Mm-hmm. And she like, she got in her car and she just knew from the picture and the description that this was a dog for her. And she <laughs> drove those 400 miles and picked up her new puppy and brought her puppy home with her. And they've had like a great life ever since. Like some people, no I matter what, like that. Just, yeah, they just go for it. And I love how Pet Finder, they do their happy tales on their main webpage. And you get to hear about all the awesome, really inspiring um, adoption stories that they have on there. Yeah, I've, I've read, actually read some of those, and it's funny, and they're not always, they're not all dogs, you know? I love it how, like, on the, there's also, yeah. like, rabbits and birds and cats, and I think I saw a goat. <laughs> I remember turning to Jamie oh. and being like, oh, he's so cute, do you want to adopt a goat? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I actually have a pet goat, they're really cool. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so really jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we usually keep them, our goats stay outside, but... There are definitely goats who make great indoor pets, usually depending on the size of your house. Yeah, I guess you'd have to have a pretty big house. I don't know if I could fit a goat in my house. Yeah, (laughs) maybe not. So cool. So I would like to know when your love of animals, like, first began, like, whether it was, like, a certain moment or just as long as you can remember. How did your love of animals, like, when do you remember your love of animals, like, started? You know, I actually have a memory from being really, really young and... It's funny because it's not a dog or a cat or anything cuddly or sweet. I actually was, um, I used to have this cottage when I was growing up. My parents had a cottage that was like an hour from where we lived in the country. And and I remember being outside in like wandering off with some, some friends. I can't remember how old I was. I could have been six. I could have been nine. I can't remember exactly, but but fairly young and wandering out. I remember being with my friends out there and, um, and in the grass there were, uh, we had garter snakes mm-hmm. in the grass. And they're like these little, they're, they're fairly small. They get to be maybe two feet long, maybe, you know, yeah. one foot, two feet long. And they're, they're like white, they're like green and yellow. And they're so harmless. And, um, and I remember my friends, like, you know, we saw one or two of them and they were, you know, like running in the other <laughs> direction. And I went over and picked it up and was kind of fascinated with it and was twisting it around my arm. And, um, and I actually love snakes and I've loved them ever since. And I really wanted to rescue a snake, but, um, Jamie, is not having it. <laughs> he's not allowing me. Um, but I remember that being the first time that I was just like, well, it's just an animal. 
you know? It's just, look at it, it's sweet. It's not trying to hurt us. It's so cute, you know? And getting yeah. strange looks. And I guess that would have been the beginning of my sort of love affair and fascination with um with all things living, I think. Yeah. Except for so bugs. Cool. I never really I'm trying to like spiders a little more. I respect the spider, but I'm still not great with bugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really cool to meet another snake lover because I always like they're just such cool animals and all. And there's just some girls and even guys who are just like freaked out by a snake. I used to work at a wildlife rehab center and they used to have like a boa constrictor they rescued from someone's house. And I loved holding that boa constrictor because mm-hmm. they're so cool. They're just so different. And I always like when people have a fear of animals because they haven't gotten to know them, that can really just like. I feel like you need to be exposed to this because you don't know what you're missing. Definitely, definitely. I mean, the snake thing is perfect, actually, because, you know, I remember, like, the first common, the most common misconception is going to be like, oh, it's slimy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and they're not at all. They couldn't be more smooth and dry and, like, not even remotely slimy. I feel like that's a cartoon, like, some cartoon perpetrated that somewhere. Yeah. but, like, some things that are, like, as simple as that, where people just think they know, and they don't, you know. I actually had that with, with larger breeds of dogs, you know. When I was growing up, my neighbor, unfortunately, my neighbor at this cottage had a pit bull that he mistreated horribly. And I was too young to know how to do anything about it. And I think people in the neighborhood eventually did something about it. But as a result of this horrible mistreating of the dog, the pit bull was extremely aggressive. And, you know, we had to be and like chained up in the back. It was awful. And I was very afraid of pit bulls and Rottweilers as a result of like this stereotype and the guy, the way he treated his dog. And, and then, you know, you hear things like, oh, they're dangerous breeds and, you know, things like that. And I knew that it wasn't that simple, but I'd never had a real experience with a Rottweiler or a Pitbull. I never met one that was, like, really friendly, and I just kind of steered clear. I never gave myself a chance. And then my manager had the same manager that introduced me to best friends. She had a uh, a rescued Rottweiler named Loverboy, who <laughs> was the most beautiful, most gentle, like, we used to wrestle. <laughs> like, yeah. If you can picture it. Like, I think he weighed, like, <laughs> 80 pounds, 100 pounds. And, like, we used to wrestle together. And he would be, like, you know, he would, like, pin me to the ground, like, so sweetly and gently. Like, I would have to volunteer, you know? And he was, the, like, the most lovely, his name was perfect. Loverboy was the best name for <laughs> him. Um, yeah. And then he recently rehabilitated a pit bull. And exactly the same thing. The pit bull that she took on, whose name is now Sugar, when she rescued her, that pit bull was so horribly mistreated, and it was just afraid, and it was it was intimidating because it was scared. Mm-hmm. And she gave it a safe home and made it feel comfortable. And now, again, you can cuddle with her, you can lie with her, you can take her food away from her while she's eating, and she doesn't even react. She's just like they're just amazing. Yeah. So I had that misconception cleared up for me exactly as you said, just by exposure. Yeah, the dog I referred to used to refer to as my second mother was a Rottweiler, and I just like I just loved her to death because I grew up with her. And when someday when someone was like, the Rottweilers are nasty, I was like, what are you talking about? They're the sweetest thing. It was just yeah. impossible for me to imagine anybody thinking otherwise. I just thought they were like any other breed, but there really are misconceptions about those dogs traditionally used for dog fighting, like pit bulls and Rottweilers, and it's really unfortunate because they are so sweet. Yeah. No, and it's very true. And, you know, the perfect analogy for it, I think, if you think about it, is, you know, what happens to people when you mistreat them? Right. 
they get scared and they get defensive and they they try to protect themselves and they get aggressive and I mean you can you know if you mistreat a living thing then you you know you get you get out of a relationship what you put into it so you're absolutely right, right. you know if you breed a dog and dog fighting then you know how do you think it's going to behave yeah <laughs> you know whereas if you if you give it you know discipline and love and stability then you're going to get a great dog yeah. So we're going to go to commercial break, but I would like to ask you one last question before we go to a commercial break. If you could come face to face with any animal in the world, wild or domestic, which one would it be and why? Wow. <laughs> um, I could come face to face. Probably a lion, but a, a lioness. A lioness. I would think a, would think a lioness. I would think a female lion. I just find them so majestic. And they're strong, and um, I think there's something in me that relates to the to the image of a woman as powerful. Right. Like they, you know, I love it that they do the hunting, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> yeah. and the way they and and the way that they guard their young. And there's just something really, really incredible about them, and strong and beautiful. And um, I've actually wanted; it's been a dream of mine to go to Africa and go on safari. Um, for a long time, and I haven't done it yet, but it's definitely on my list, and it's something I will do in my lifetime, hopefully in the near future, and uh, I definitely think that's the animal. I don't know how face-to-face I'd want to be with one, but but if the circumstances were perfect, then absolutely. Very cool. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that. I always love how Linus's kick but like the whole women don't work or can't can't yeah, exactly right the like there they just <laughs> stomp on all the stereotypes of, of yeah. women the negative stereotypes cool so we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll come back don't leave this party before it's over because the best is yet to come only losers leave the party early anyway party on back in a few it's It's designerpetsweaters.com, hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Hey, what's going on? It's Tyler James Williams and everybody hates Chris, but everybody loves Kristen on Pets Rock on Pet Life Radio. Hey everyone, this is Kristen Powers back with Pets Rock at Pet Life Radio. Today we have Rochelle Lefebvre, and it's been an awesome interview, and I hope you enjoy the rest. How are you doing, Rochelle? I'm good. I'm good. I'm very much enjoying our chat. Cool. Me too. So now I'm going to kind of move a little bit away from the animals and move towards kind of like more, I guess, teenage-orientated questions. So my first question to you is, as a 
teenager or a child, did you ever imagine your face on the campaign of an issue like puppies aren't products? Or have you ever imagined yourself working in this type of field? No, I never imagined it, but I don't know that the people who know me would necessarily be surprised. <laughs> I think <laughs> probably my friends and family are like, oh, there's Rochelle up and preaching, up and telling people, you know, up and giving people information um, because I was very, very active in my student council in high school and was actually co-president. I was class president with my best friend and was always the person like coming into your room to make announcements. And I uh, initiated at my school something called that I, I worked with World Vision and did something called the 30-hour famine, which was to uh, oh, yeah. raise money for, yeah, to raise money for starving children in third world countries. And so I was always at my school, you know, telling kids, <laughs> I, was, I guess I was kind of bossy, you know, <laughs> um, telling kids, you know, get involved and trying to always like, you know, plan the school dances and always involved in stuff. So I never imagined I would be doing anything like this or be a part of anything like some sort of official campaign or anything this important, but uh-huh. certainly I'm not the quiet type. <laughs> yeah, well, the world vision and all that is very important. And I just want to remind teenagers out there that even though you may not be an actress or like have your name on PSA, like the world vision stuff that you were doing in high school is just as cool. And I think teenagers sometimes forget that what they do counts. I think so. I think not only do, I think, you know, one of the things that I remember so much from being a teenager was not only do you feel like sometimes, you know, sometimes I used to feel like sort of small or insignificant, just like, well, what can I do? You know, I don't even have my own like real money yet or anything, you know, like I, I mean, my first job I made, I think I made $5 an hour making coffees at a cafe and there were tips if I was lucky, you know, and I sort of felt like, well, you know, what can I do? And, um, and things like the world vision or, you know, volunteering your time. If you have time to tutor kids who are either at your school or in other programs where kids need help in school and they can't afford tutors, so they get volunteer tutors, or donating your time at a homeless shelter or a soup kitchen, you know, like these are all things that they need people that you can absolutely do at your age, you know, and you don't have to have money and you don't have to have quote-unquote resources. You just have to be willing to give your time. 30-hour famine is so easy. You go out, you get people to sponsor you, and then you uh-huh. don't eat for 30 hours. It's literally, it's a day. We actually um, slept at my school. We, we got the school to give us permission. We had a couple uh-huh. of teachers volunteered a chaperone. We slept in the gym, and we were in the gym overnight, and we played basketball, and we got a karaoke machine from someone's dad, and you know, we just, we had like a sleepover in our school gym, and it actually turned out to be really fun, and in the end, we were like, wow, I can't believe I raised money for charity. I sort of feel like it was selfish, because I had such a good time. (laughs) (laughs) So you can totally do things as a teenager. You're fully empowered. Yeah. Yeah, another cross-promotion with that. I actually know some people at dosomething.org, and they're that's like their whole mission is to empower offline action in teenagers. And if you just visit their site or attend one of their like social boot camps, it's just so amazing what teenagers are like my age or even like in their mid twenties can do. Like I've through do something.org. I've met people who are starting an orphanage in India or are starting art programs in their school or are even just volunteering at their, like some other organization that, they feel passionate about and so it's would do something.org i mean kids go on it and you can get volunteer opportunities you can get help you can even win grants to if you have a great idea to make a change like if you want to do something like to support puppies aren't products or to support world vision like they just are so helpful and it's so great to see an organization out there that really just empowers teenagers that way 
Absolutely. I think it's an amazing thing. Also, it's a great way to meet new people. Like I found right. that when I was a kid, you know, um, and I don't mean kid in a young or derogatory way, but <laughs> sometimes I still feel like one. <laughs> but when I was younger, you know, I definitely would, uh, would you know, meet new people at things that I did and, and feel like that was great. You know, it does amazing things for you as a person giving back. You know, it's like it's really rewarding. There was one thing, actually, that I feel like, you know, I don't want to get too philosophical, but I think it's a good thing to address, which is that I experienced this personally, which is that a lot of the time I felt a reluctance to get involved in things in the beginning because there were kids at my school who, you know, made fun of me for it. And a lot of the time, you know, you can, you can feel like if you're not lucky enough that these quote unquote cool kids, or you're not one of the quote unquote cool kids, that if they're not on board that, you know, unfortunately, especially in high school, kids can be mean. And, and, you know, when I was decided to get involved in student council, I took a lot of flack for that. And I was sort of quote unquote, a loser, you know, for a long time. And I have to say that as brutal as that was sometimes, it never, ever, ever took away from how amazing it was to be doing the things that I was getting involved in and raising money for charity and participating. And actually, in the end, it turns out that people got involved and came on board and I was able by just keeping my head up and being able to stick with it and not be deterred and not be given to that stereotype of being the nerdy kid who wants to do good or whatever, um, that I was actually able to change people's image of it and go, oh, well, she clearly, no matter how much we make fun of her, is clearly staying with this. So that must be a really cool thing and got people who wouldn't have been involved involved. And the other thing is I met a lot of people who were like me and made a lot of new friends and that became an incredibly rewarding experience. So yeah. So, you know, high school is very hard. Don't be deterred. You will survive. <laughs> Do it anyway. Good advice. So um, what was your favorite subject in school? Oh, my God. See, now I'm going to be nerdy again because I kind of <laughs> loved school. I loved everything. I never really was a fan of geography, I have to admit. Um, I always found geography very difficult. I still don't know where things are. It's really embarrassing. But uh, I always loved math. I really did, really did love math because it was one of those things where you could just learn for yourself how to do it. And then when you thought you had the answer, you could check your work to find out if you got it right. Like it was totally independent. It was like either you taught yourself to do it or you didn't. Um, right. And so I liked, how, I liked the simplicity of math. I thought it was really fascinating. And, um, and then obviously English and drama were were definitely my favorites. I have to say if I had to pick only one subject, like if I had to go back to high school and study a subject, sit through classes uh-huh. again, it would definitely be English class. Yeah. So when did you first realize that you wanted to be an actress? It sounds like you're already interested in drama when you were in high school, but when did you realize that's kind of what you wanted to do in life? I think I always wanted to be an actress. I mean, I don't think I ever really wanted to do anything else. There were always things that I was interested in. I went through, like, most people went through different phases where, you know, I'd hear about this as a job and go, oh, that's really cool. And then I'd be fascinated with this, something else and move on and change my mind. And, but within that, I always wanted to be an actress. I think what was really the sort of profound experience for me was when I decided that I was actually going to stop treating it like something I'd always hoped I could do and treat it like something I was determined to do. And I feel like when I was about... 16, I kind of made the shift from being the person who always said, oh, well, if I could do anything, I'd really want to be an actress, to going, okay, I want to be an actress. What do I have to do? Right. Yeah. That's definitely a big jump. 
Yeah, yeah, because you have to be proactive, you know, and then I was like, yeah. all right, you know, I want to study with the best teachers. Where are they? And what can I do? And how do I, you know, and what can I study? And how can I meet people? And how can I learn? And, you know, just I really became, it became more of a, more of a passion in a very, like, in a very proactive way. I just started to sort of mm-hmm. take charge of my own chances because there's a lot of chance involved. And <laughs> you want to, you want to take yeah. control as much as you can to give yourself the best shot. Right. Cool. So what are some things you like to do in your free time? Um, what do I like to do? I sort of go back and forth between, uh, between moods. I love to cook. I didn't start cooking until I was in my 20s. And, um, and then in my like early 20s, I started. I just opened up a cookbook. My stepfather told me, if you can read, you can cook. So I got <laughs> a cookbook. And I opened it up and started cooking. And, and that's something I love to do. Like I can spend three hours in the kitchen happily and it feels like 20 minutes. Awesome. So I do, I do love that when I have time to prepare big meals and I love having people around for dinner and, and having people over. I like, I like, you know, sometimes I like to turn off my brain and just sit in front of the TV and watch Gossip Girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge Gossip Girl and so you think you can dance, Stan? Uh-huh. Um, those are like my guilty pleasures and, uh, and sitting in front of like, a little bit of microwave popcorn or a little bowl of ice cream <laughs> with frozen yogurt and sitting and watching those shows is great. Yeah. I love to read. I'm a little bit obsessed with fashion magazines like mm-hmm. Vogue and Harper's Bazaar and Elle and all those. I'm a little, I'm a little bit of a fashion magazine <laughs> junkie. So, you know. But I'm basically a homebody. Like, I don't go out clubbing or I don't go to very many parties or anything like that. Things that I do are generally with friends and low-key. I love bowling, believe it or not. <laughs> um, cool. Totally love bowling. Yeah. Uh, I love game night. Like, I, I, we have, Jamie and I have friends around and we play games. You know, we play Cranium or... Or I like to play Scrabble or Taboo. There's this game I play called Things in a Box that we love. Like, we're just, you know, anything mm-hmm. that involves just chilling. <laughs> like, just cool. chilling and being with my friends. Yeah. Sounds nice. So, um, I also have heard that you work with two other campaigns, Schools on Wheels and the Susan G. Komen for a Cure. Would you like I, to tell us more about that? Absolutely. So I work with Susan G. Komen Foundation in two ways, which is that, number one, I'm just an independent donator, which is, you know, I just send what I can, when I can, I contribute financially. But the other thing that I do is through Twitter, I've encouraged people to go to the Susan G. Komen website and uh, in search for the webpage, Rochelle Lefebvre's Twitter Charity Challenge. And there's a guest book there that people can sign and they can donate, whether it be a dollar or $5 or whatever they can afford, $100 if you have it, great, you know, whatever they have, to be able to, uh, to make a donation and sign the guest book. And it's just a place where people can feel like they're participating and engaging with a community and contributing, you know, even if you have a story to tell, if you don't have any money to donate, if you go and you sign the guest book and you write your story, people, other people read that, they don't feel so alone, you know. I think yeah. community is a really important thing. And so I've donated financially through through Twitter as well with the number of followers I get and make contributions. So just trying to get people to participate in that organization because, of course, breast cancer is, um, is you know, horribly destructive. And, uh, and we need to stay involved in, in trying to fight and in raising awareness. And uh, the other organization that I work with is a great grassroots organization here in Los Angeles that's actually branching out. Uh, I believe they're in Massachusetts now and in Indiana. And it's called School on Wheels, and they tutor homeless children. And I started volunteering with them, and it's really simple. You Once a week, you go to a homeless shelter or you go to, you can meet the kid in a cafe, if they're not in a shelter, sometimes these kids are living in their cars with their parents and you decide you meet them at a cafe or 
anywhere, and it's obviously supervised and set up by the organization. Um, and they, the idea is that once a week you tutor a homeless kid in whatever it is that they need tutoring in. Sometimes it's, you know, a subject from school. Sometimes it's um, they just need someone to spend an hour with them boosting their confidence and talking about, you know, how they're having a hard time. And you just really are there for them. Um, offering help. And the idea is that it's very difficult to do well in school if you're homeless. And, uh, and these kids need every advantage. And so it's just lending a helping hand. And the organization itself is amazing because they, um, they work with the parents to make sure that the kid stays in school, even, um, even though they lose their home. They provide uniforms. If the school has a uniform and the parents can't afford it, they provide school supplies, backpacks, um, and so it's schoolonwheels.org, and it's really a great organization. And if it's not in your area, then you can always um, try to find an organization in your area that does something similar. Um, and again, that's one of the things I was talking about. You, know, you can volunteer, volunteer your time and, and tutor. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, I have one last question before we go. Um, so what is your advice to young adults looking to make a difference in the world? How should they go about it? And what's the best tip that you can give them based on your experience with Puppies Aren't Products and life in general? I think, that's a, first of all, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, and I, I hope I can do it justice. I think that the number one thing that I would say is be passionate. Find something you're passionate about. You don't have to, you know, if you want to volunteer in different areas and try different things and see what and see what really gets in your heart and gets under your skin, then then for sure. But if you have something that's really close to you, like I work with best friends because of my experience with honey and I donate to Susan G. Komen because I lost someone very close to me of breast cancer. And so because of my close personal connection with the charities that I've chosen, I never feel overwhelmed if it's uh if it's a heavy time commitment um or you know if i'm if i hit a roadblock and i need to find a problem solving solution to continue my involvement i never really feel overwhelmed or deterred because i'm so passionate about it and i think that's really important especially when you're the demands of being um of being a young adult when you have you know you have tons of studies and you're dealing with whatever you might be dealing with at home and maybe you're having your first relationship and you know there's all life is complicated and difficult and makes demands on you and the way to make sure that you can keep your commitment to something is make sure that it's something you're really passionate about because then you will always get back from it you'll always get back more than you put in and it will be rewarding and it will be something that nourishes you instead of something that demands from you. And I, I think that's the key difference. So really just, I guess I just that's a long way to say follow your heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great advice. So thank you so much for this interview, Rochelle. And we all send your best wishes to your dog, Honey. Thank you very much, Kristen. And it would be nice to meet you someday. And I wish you all the best of luck. Something tells me that you don't need it. But I wish <laughs> you all the best of luck with everything you do. Oh, thank you. Well, everyone, that's Rochelle Lefebvre, and she is one of the ambassadors for the Best Friends campaign with Puppies Aren't Products. So check her out and all the amazing work that she's doing. Thank you, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.